Hi, this is Shivan Raman again from Johns Hopkins University. So let's continue our survey of solid pancreatic masses. Now, when I last left you, we had talked a little bit about pancreatic adenocarcinoma, its diagnosis, lesion identification, staging, and determination of resectability. Now, we left off by talking about a number of atypical features on a CT scan that should suggest that you're dealing with a diagnosis other than pancreatic adenocarcinoma. I talked about tumors in the pancreatic head and unsent process that didn't involve the CBD or the pancreatic duct, unless they were tucked into the unsent process, lesions that didn't result in any upstream pancreatic atrophy, tumors that surrounded vasculature with absolutely no attenuation or narrowing, and finally, lesions that resulted in significant lymphadenopathy. Now, when I'm thinking about pancreatic cancer, the most common mimics, I think, are on this list. Lymphoma, unusual cases of autoimmune pancreatitis, groove pancreatitis, primary duodenal tumors, conglomerate peripancreatic lymphadenopathy, and of course, fatty infiltration of the pancreatic head. And in the back of my mind, I see so many pancreatic cancers every day because of where I practice. I'm always trying to think, is there something here that I'm missing? Is there a diagnosis other than pancreatic cancer that I can invoke in my differential? Now, I'd say the most important of these is actually fatty infiltration. Now, at Hopkins, because we're a large referral center, because our pancreatic cancers get patients from all over the world, we, have a lar we get a chance to see a large number of scans brought in from outside institutions and outside hospitals. And I'd say invariably, every month, I probably, uh, I probably see two or three patients who are brought into Hopkins with a diagnosis of pancreatic adenocarcinoma, and it turns out to just be fatty infiltration of the pancreatic head, also known as pancreatic lipomatosis. Now, I think most of the time, we're all relatively comfortable with making this diagnosis, right? It's usually diffuse. It tends to be more common when patients get older, when they're obese, and you get this diffuse fatty infiltration throughout the pancreatic parenchyma. You start to see the lobulations a little better. The problem is that fatty infiltration can rarely be focal. It has a special predilection for the anterior aspect of the pancreatic head. And if you don't recognize it, it's very easy to think that this is actually a pancreatic tumor. Now, for the most part, when you get focal fatty infiltration in the pancreatic head, it almost always is going to be in the anterior aspect of the pancreatic head. It's going to spare the posterior aspect of the head and the unsent process. And in many cases, you're going to see this sharp demarcating line. Anterior to the line, it's going to look hypodense with fatty infiltration, and posterior to the line, it's going to look completely normal, as in this example. Now, there are a few clues that should help you make this distinction. First of all, obviously, the sites of involvement are going to be a very strong clue, but just as importantly, these lesions or these areas of fatty infiltration should not deform the pancreatic contour. You shouldn't get any biliary or pancreatic ductal dilatation. There should be no mass effect, and of course, the vasculature should be completely uninvolved. Now, nowadays, I see so many pancreatic cancers that this distinction, most of the time, isn't that difficult. But I've got to say, once in a while, I'll see a case that still makes me question whether I'm really dealing with a true mass or not. Now, for the most part, I think in the majority of cases, you can make the diagnosis on CT if you really think about some of these features. But in those cases that are really difficult and where you're really unsure and you don't want to miss the diagnosis, I think there's nothing wrong with going onto an MR, doing in and out of phase imaging, and confirming that you're just dealing with run-of-the-mill fat. Now, here's another example, very similar. Notice how there's hypodensity, but it's in the anterior aspect of the pancreatic head. And there's the sharp demarcating line between the anterior aspect, which is fatty infiltrated, and the posterior aspect of the head and the unsent process, which are still relatively normal in density. Notice how this doesn't really look like a true mass. 
There's no mass effect. There's no vascular involvement. There's no biliary or pancreatic ductal dilatation. It's easy to say this is a tumor, but if you think about it a little while, you're going to realize that you're just dealing with normal fatty infiltration. Now, much less common than fatty infiltration is another mimic of pancreatic cancer, and that's lymphoma. Now, primary pancreatic lymphoma is actually extraordinarily rare, probably less than 1% of all pancreatic tumors. And when you do see it, it's going to be some kind of a diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, typically in patients who are either immunocompromised or very elderly. But I'd say much more commonly, when I see lymphoma of the pancreas, it is secondary lymphomatous involvement. And there's going to be extensive involvement elsewhere, multiple lymph nodes elsewhere in the abdomen, pelvis, or even the chest. Now, the imaging features of lymphoma theoretically can be mistaken for pancreatic adenocarcinoma. These are hypodense, infiltrative, poorly marginated masses. They do have a predilection for the pancreatic head. But that being said, there are usually going to be other ancillary features that should suggest an alternative diagnosis. First of all, when you see lymphoma involving the pancreas, you're almost never going to get upstream pancreatic atrophy, pancreatic ductal dilatation, or biliary dilatation. Those features are extraordinarily rare. So if I see a big mass that's not doing anything to the ducts, not causing any atrophy, that is an atypical feature. And I'm going to automatically question the diagnosis of pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Secondly, these lesions almost always are associated with extensive lymphadenopathy elsewhere. Now, as I mentioned before, primary pancreatic lymphoma is rare. So usually these are secondary cases of lymphoma where there's almost always going to be lots of lymph nodes elsewhere in the body. So if I see a big pancreatic mass but extensive lymphadenopathy, that is not typical for pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Very rarely are you going to see big nodes with pancreatic cancer. So when I see them, I'm going to at least consider lymphoma on my differential and I'm going to recommend that the patient undergo a biopsy. Now lymphoma has a tendency to infiltrate without regard to anatomic boundaries. So what does that mean? Now remember when I said earlier, pancreatic adenocarcinoma has a special tendency to infiltrate posteriorly into the retroperitoneum. And that's why they so commonly involve the celiac, the SMA, the hepatic artery, and the portal SMB confluence. Very rarely are you ever going to see a pancreatic adenocarcinoma that's going to infiltrate anteriorly out into the mesentery or out into the transverse mesocolon or the gastrocolic ligament. Now, on the other hand, lymphoma will go anywhere. It'll go posteriorly, it'll go anteriorly. And when I see a tumor that's really going everywhere in the abdomen, I'm going to think about something other than pancreatic adenocarcinoma. So here's an example. Large mass centered in the pancreatic bed. It is huge. First of all, hard to imagine that you're going to get a pancreatic cancer that big. Notice how vessels are coursing through that mass with absolutely no mass effect, attenuation, or narrowing. That SMA looks complete. SMA and celiac look completely uninvolved. They're going through tumor, but they don't look attenuated at all. That's very unusual for pancreatic cancer. Notice how the lesion is that big, but I'll tell you there is no biliary dilatation, and you couldn't really see any pancreatic ductal dilatation as well. You've also got to look at all this lymphadenopathy, look at that large lesion in the spleen, the pattern of metastatic disease. It really just doesn't go along with pancreatic cancer, and in this case, this turned out to be diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Now, an entity that can look just like lymphoma is leukemic infiltration of the pancreas. Very rare, but will look just like lymphoma. In this example, again, for all the world could be a pancreatic cancer. Solid, hypodense, poorly marginated, but this patient had lots of lymphadenopathy elsewhere. We recommended a biopsy, and this turned out to be a chloroma or granulocytic sarcoma from leukemic infiltration. Now, I'd say at Hopkins, for the most part, we tend not to mistake fatty infiltration or lymphoma for pancreatic cancer. I can't think of the last time someone went to the operating room, 
under the assumption that we were dealing with pancreatic cancer, but it turned out to be one of those two diagnoses. But we're much less good at differentiating forms of chronic pancreatitis from pancreatic cancer. And specifically, I'd say the two forms of pancreatitis that are commonly mistaken for pancreatic cancer and unfortunately end up going to the operating room mistakenly are autoimmune pancreatitis and groove pancreatitis. Now, autoimmune pancreatitis is probably the most common, and we've had several cases, unfortunately, at Hopkins where patients have been thought to have a pancreatic mass, they undergo repeated biopsies, nothing comes back, patient ends up going to the operating room, and it turns out to be autoimmune, focal autoimmune pancreatitis. Now, in many of these cases, you're not going to be able to make a prospective diagnosis. It's just too difficult. It's too rare a diagnosis. And really, you're not going to have any specific imaging features to allow you to make the diagnosis prospectively. But there are some features that may help you distinguish focal autoimmune pancreatitis from a pancreatic cancer. Now, autoimmune pancreatitis tends to diffusely enlarge the pancreas. The pancreas is going to look big. It's going to look sausage-like. There's often going to be this thin rim or hypodense capsule around the margin of the pancreas that is very suggestive of autoimmune pancreatitis. The pancreatic duct is usually not going to be dilated. The duct is usually going to be diffusely or segmentally narrowed. You're not going to see upstream atrophy. You're not going to see much in the way of peripancreatic fat stranding or induration. And you're often going to see strictures of the distal CBD with thickening and enhancement of that distal CBD wall. Now, if you're dealing with just completely focal autoimmune pancreatitis, you may not be able to distinguish it from a cancer. But when I see these other features, a big, huge pancreas, that thin rim or capsule around the pancreas, along with a focal mass, I'm at least going to raise the possibility that we could potentially be dealing with a form of focal pancreatitis. And this is actually not a difficult diagnosis to make clinically once you suggest it on a CT scan. In many cases, the clinicians can just, just check an IgG4 level. And even if the IgG4 level comes back negative, but you still have a strong clinical suspicion, sometimes the clinicians will treat the patients with a trial of steroids. And I've seen several cases where we've suggested this prospectively. The patients have been treated with steroids, and a completely abnormal pancreas has become completely normal just within the course of a couple of weeks. Now, here's a couple of examples of diffuse autoimmune pancreatitis. It's a hard, but I still think gettable diagnosis. Big, boggy, sausage-like pancreas with a thin rim of hypodensity around its margin. Here's a case that's much more difficult. A real solid, hypodense, poorly marginated mass. Now, in this case, we were a little bit leery of the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer going in. There was no biliary dilatation. There was no pancreatic ductal dilatation. There was no upstream pancreatic atrophy. But nevertheless, we couldn't ignore the fact that there was a big mass sitting here in the pancreatic head. It got biopsied, nothing came back, the IgG4 was negative, patient underwent a Whipple, turned out to be focal autoimmune pancreatitis. Sometimes you can't win, but that's okay. As long as you've done your best, you've at least thought about this diagnosis, I think you've done your due diligence by the patient. Now, another form of pancreatitis that can mimic pancreatic cancer, and that's extraordinarily difficult diagnosis to make prospectively is groove pancreatitis. Now this is a rare form of chronic pancreatitis that affects the groove between the pancreatic head, the duodenum, and the common bile duct. Now the imaging features of groove pancreatitis tend to be relatively distinct. You're going to get thickening between the pancreas and the, and the duodenum. It's really not going to be pancreatic or duodenal, but it's going to be right between the two in the groove. There's going to be very little inflammation, very little free fluid, and often you're going to see multiple small cysts sitting right in that groove between the pancreatic head and the duodenum. So here's an example. There's this crescentic, 
hypodense soft tissue sitting between the duodenum and the pancreatic head. There's multiple areas of cystic change. It doesn't look like it's really centered in the pancreatic head or in the duodenum for that matter, but really within the groove. The problem is that it's almost impossible for us to say as radiologists that that's not pancreatic cancer or duodenal cancer. And in fact, the majority of these cases get read out as a pancreatic cancer or duodenal cancer. And even if you suggest this diagnosis prospectively and the biopsies come back as negative, how can you really be sure that that's not a malignancy? So regardless of whether you make this diagnosis prospectively or not, these patients invariably go on to get a Whipple procedure. Here's yet another example. looks very similar. Hypodense, infiltrating, solid tissue between the pancreatic head and the duodenum, multiple small cysts. Now, we actually raised the possibility of groove pancreatitis prospectively, but this patient ended up getting a Whipple anyway. Turned out to be groove pancreatitis, but you just can't exclude the possibility of a primary pancreatic adenocarcinoma or a duodenal cancer. So now that we've talked about a few of the mimics of pancreatic cancer, why don't we take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our next category of pancreatic masses, and that's pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors. See you later. Bye.